Beyond the American political tumult these days, nature finds its way more and more up against the demands of humanity. Growing human populations and climate change can stress age-old natural systems, sometimes to the breaking point. When that point comes, politics can rear up with a vengeance. The Rio Grande Valley in Texas, the River Valley, is one of the fastest-growing regions in the country. And the water that runs through it is shriveling under the pressure of climate change and population growth. By the middle of this century, scientists now say, the storied Rio Grande will dry up. Rosario Sanchez Flores looks at where the millions of Americans and Mexicans along the border will turn when that happens. And they will turn underground to cross-border aquifers, the only water that this region may have left. The U.S. and Mexico know how to share the river, but not the aquifers. They don't even fully understand what's down there. Hydrologist Rosario Sanchez Flores is on the case, research scientist at the Texas Water Resources Institute. She coordinates the Water Management and Hydrological Science Program at Texas A&M University. She was born across the river in Saltillo, Mexico, and has an interesting story of her own. We're talking with her about nature, water, the border, and what lies beneath. Rosario, thanks so much for being here. Thank you, Tom, for the invite. I'm happy to be here. It's great to have you. And you say in 15 or 20 years, the Rio Grande is going to be a pitiful stream. What's happening? <laughs> well, it, it already is at some points. Uh, we don't have to wait until 20 years. Yeah. <laughs> and, and some stretches are actually dry already because of the a couple of, a couple of things. It's very hydraulically engineered river there are dams all over it then if you add that the climate change predictions on the rio grande river they don't show pretty um, good scenarios in terms of precip or precipitation and high temperatures that's one and snowfall of course and snow package in the rocky mountains which is the headwaters of the rio grande so if you look at the changes over the last years, it has been reduced dramatically. So a combination of human factors and environmental factors, and as well as, you know, the Rio Grande is already fully allocated. There can't be any more water rights coming from that river. So there's no way we can expect more water coming from that river in the future. Less coming into the river in the first place. I read that in this terrific series by the Texas Observer and Quartz on cross-border waters. They say that snowmelt is down 25% since 1950. That's the origin. That's the river's origin in the United States, in Colorado. Mm -hmm. And as you say, so many people dipping into this river along the way. But the fact is the population in the Rio Grande Valley is projected to explode to double by the middle of this century, uh, six million plus on both sides of that border. And that, I guess, brings us to your specialty, what lies beneath and the aquifers. How important are the cross-border aquifers going to be for the human population, agriculture, the whole thing in this area, uh, Rosario? Well, that's why it's getting more important every day, because surface water is not an option anymore. Uh, for future uh, water needs in the region, for any kind of need. Uh, especially agriculture, you know, it consumes mostly most of the water in the basin, 80-85% of, of water is used in agriculture. But where is the water coming from in the next 
couple of years, in the next two decades, it's going to come from groundwater. So groundwater is connected in, in, in the Rio Grande Basin. We, we can ignore that. I mean, there are just political borders, but there are not hydrological borders. So it crosses at different levels and different scales. So that's the thing that we're trying to figure out at what level and at what scale and how dependent and interdependent we are from the other side. From what I see of your research, we haven't even really known what's what's down there. They've only agreed on four, officially agreed on four trans-border aquifers. You say there are many more than that. What's the picture look like? Is there enough underground water to support the population that's coming in the Rio Grande Valley? Oh, I wish I know that. (laughs) (laughs) Scary. I wish we all know that. (laughs) Yeah. (laughs) Come on. (laughs) We're just starting this. (laughs) Uh, That's the problem. That's part of the problem. We just don't know uh, for sure. Wait a minute, you're going to have 6 million plus people living living above ground and the river's going to be reduced to a trickle or nothing at all and we don't know what's beneath? Uh, exactly. So, yeah, I mean, that's, that's terrific and that's uh, scary. as It sounds terrific, scientifically speaking, and scary for, you know, us as a human. Yeah. It, it must be scary for us to know that we don't know. So... We know a lot, uh, well, I wouldn't say a lot, we know some on the Texas side, and I hate to speak that way because you can't just speak of a side of an aquifer, it's just an aquifer, right? But yes. you have to speak on, on the side of the aquifer on the Texas side, or the U.S. side, because okay. it's the same all over the border. Mm-hmm. Um, and, and we know some, a little bit less on the Mexico side, what's going on. But if you put them together, you just don't know with certainty uh, what's the level, uh, what, what's the quality of their aquifer, what's the quality of the water of their aquifer, how much they interconnect, how much we are actually soaking from those aquifers from each side, so, and what, what is the vulnerability that we're facing in the future. Meanwhile, the demands keep growing. It's not just the human population. It's what they're doing. You talk about all the agriculture that's there. Uh, mm-hmm. People looking down there at, at, at a giant uh, beer brewing facility, <laughs> sucking up water mm-hmm. to make beer. Mexico looking at getting in a big way in your home state. You were born in Saltillo, Saltillo, uh, Mexico, uh, looking at getting into hydraulic fracturing. Of course, the U.S. also into that in a big way. And that takes mm-hmm. a lot of water. How do you figure out the size and scale of the aquifers that are there? I'm reading about you going back through old oil drilling records to try and ascertain that. How far along in that process are you? Exactly. The problem is data. Everything for a scientist, the problem is data. But when it comes to aquifers, and specifically groundwater, transboundary aquifers, oh, the data, it's crucial. So... What we are, have been able to do just <laughs> by talking to people, actually, because there's no other way, uh, is to try... The, there's a limit of information, public information, let's say, what you can find from, from Texas and from the federal government of okay. Mexico. Uh-huh. And it's not enough, not close enough to what we need to know what's going on down there. So what, who else, you know, who's drilling who is actually mm-hmm. soaking that water is private companies, 
right? Mm -hmm. And they do, and they do have the data because they have to have the data for their own sustainability of their business. So, so we have contact the well, Pemex of course is not is not private, but it's not public now. It's a kind of a combination of we don't know what kind of organization that is right now. This is the giant Mexican oil company, of course. Yes. Yeah, that's Pemex. Yep. And then there, there are private companies as well as, you know, the brewing company. And then there's mining companies, private. And they are not forced by law to, you know, to give this kind of information. Or even, you know, uh, international companies that are actually, you know, um, drilling though that area for mostly oil and gas. I, I hear you saying that we're... We're kind of driving blind here into the future. The population's growing, the demands are growing, and we don't know what's there. Mm-hmm. Yes. <laughs> well, well we, we're trying. That's that's why this is fantastic uh, in terms of research. Uh, and, and it's risky. And it's risky. It's, it's amazing from a very, very scientific perspective. But it's also, you know, it, it's a lot of responsibility because there's not much research on this. This is the research I mean, that you're doing right now. You've got four aquifers that are officially, uh, formally acknowledged. How many have you found in total along the border, uh, Rosario? You mean between Texas and Mexico yes. only? Mm-hmm. Between between Texas and Mexico, there are around 15 aquifers that could be potentially good aquifers. Uh, between Mexico and Texas. It depends on the formation that we're talking about because they're all different. You know, it's very complex systems. But but you can say that between 15 and 18 um, transboundary units, let's call them units, uh, are good aquifer uh, with good potential. And and I'm sure we're, we're, we're getting... I mean, there's people living in there, right? And they all have their own wells and there's, and there's private property and... and where are they getting the water from if there is not much water in the river? Right. Of course, the distribution of the river water has been the subject of a formal agreement for nearly a century. People fight over that, but there's a system for um, governing how that's done. Is there any system for governing how the waters of the trans-border aquifers are used? There's none. And that's part of the problem as well. And I guess there's none because there has it hasn't been that important. Uh, and, I, and I wouldn't say important. It hasn't got the attention that surface water gets because you can't see surface water. You cannot see groundwater. So, so we don't have anything binationally that governs groundwater, transboundary groundwater. And this is not, I mean, this is not, not something that is surprising because you don't see those things in around the world either. There are four agreements around the world related to transboundary to management of transboundary groundwater resources. Four in the, in the world. Wow. So this is not this is not a, a unique problem between Mexico and the U.S. And we actually have done a lot compared to other regions of the world. I mean, the IBWC, Steel Land Commission, which deals with surface water, I mean, they're very unique, and they are a very uh, well-known institution. Uh, this is the International worldwide. Boundary and Water Commission, and, the, and they're active all yes. over the place, but still only four formal agreements here. Do you, is there some authority, or maybe it's you, Rosario, 
who's sitting back and saying, here's the population trend line for the Rio Grande Valley, and here's the water availability, and judging whether or not there's sufficient water available in a time of climate change and all the rest to support the communities that are right now growing in this river valley. Is someone calculating that? Well, it depends. Uh, you know, Texas has its own water plan, its own water plan and, and its focus, I believe the management structures and, and the framework that is evolving towards water scarcity has to do more on water conservation and water incentives to, to conserve more. And you know that every state in the U.S., I mean, it's they're independent in terms of groundwater and surface water management. So they all have their own plans. It's like dealing with different countries. Yeah. Uh, when, it, when, it, when it comes to the border, it's not U.S.-Mexico. It's Mexico-Arizona, Mexico-California, Mexico-Texas. So they have their own water plans and, and they have their own priorities. They've done their work in terms of, of, of water availability, but they all stop at the borderline. So is, there's no consideration on what's going on on the other side. So that's what's scary because there's water on the other side as well and there's a vulnerability of contamination and there's groundwater dependency. I mean, there, there are populations that depend 100% of, of groundwater uh, and, and, and that population are located in the border. That means that eventually, sooner or later, they will have to talk to the neighbor what's going on on your side because I'm running out of my water on my well. So eventually that that conversation needs to take place. But it's not happening, not even not not, not even domestic level. I mean, if you see groundwater conservation districts in Texas, they don't even speak to each other in, in those terms. I mean, and they are transboundary as well. And what, what about <laughs> the companies? You've got Constellation Brands. This is this enormous, I guess you owned, U.S. owned, but uh, wine, mm -hmm. beer and wine uh, giant. They make Corona, beer and Modelo and Pacifico and a whole lot more. They're pulling lots of water out of an aquifer on the Mexican side here. Does anybody know how much? Uh, are uh, American farmers on the other side of the border, are they using entirely river water? Are they pulling from the aquifer too? They're pulling from the aquifer too, and they're using water from the river as well. And 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 those big companies are pulling water from groundwater, and they know how much their water are pulling from. And and yes, I mean they're they're taking a lot of water, but not as much as agriculture in the region. Do, do these takes, companies have to report? Do they have to report what they're using from the aquifer, or is it just uh, sort of the wild west? <laughs> Uh, let's say, how can I phrase this? Um, they do have to report it by law. They have water permits. They have an amount that they have to, you know, that they have to get up, get out. But there's no limits on the amounts of water they can get out. The uh, that aquifer they're pulling from right now, which is the Allende Piedras Negras aquifer, mm -hmm. has just been regulated three years ago. And regulated is, is like a big word because, yes. <laughs> very, very big word, because you can buy as many as water permits you can get. There's no limitations on the concentration of water permits. So it's like they can own how, how crazy amounts of water without 
actually violating the law because that's the way the law is written. Uh, there are just a few articles on the Mexican water law related to groundwater. So, and, and, and when it comes to groundwater in, in the border, then it's a very gray area because that's dealt directly with Mexico City, not even with the states. So it, it's kind of a very gray, unattended, and I would say negligent way uh, that it's been, you know, taking care of the groundwater resources in the border on the Mexico side and on the U.S. side as well. Is there any movement toward an agreement as the population there becomes more and more dependent on the aquifers, on the groundwater? I mean, I know the politics about this are very hot. Uh, back in 2001, for the first time, the Rio Grande stopped flowing before it reached the Gulf. Mm-hmm. Farmers mm-hmm. were up in arms. They claimed that Mexico wasn't releasing enough water from its side uh, to mm-hmm. the U.S. It can get very heated. And now we've got more tension around the border with uh, Donald Trump, President Trump, looking to put the, the wall and all the rest. Is there some movement toward an agreement that would govern how groundwater is allocated across the border, Rosario? There is no movement per se. Um, There is interest, growing interest. Uh, I think we have a momentum, a political momentum right now, like a window of opportunity uh, that we can all take advantage of. But I don't think it's going to get to whatever we need to get uh, pretty soon. So it, there's interest, uh, binational interest. The uh, International Boundary Wonder and, and Water Commission and the Mexico section, they are interested, very interested in what's going on on um, transboundary aquifers. They have planned for a groundwater summit next year, and we all should be there to, to, to see what they were they're going to come up with. And then there's the Transboundary Aquifer Assessment Program Act that was signed 10 years ago. That was kind of the first kind of real attempt uh, uh, by the federal government of the U.S., by the way, Mm. uh, to actually explore what's going on on these priority aquifers. That's what they call. So there is a growing interest because of the level of dependencies growing on groundwater. But it's very slowly. So... And this is, again, this is what is going on internationally as well. But there is no international agreement on groundwater either. Uh, there is surface water, but it's not on groundwater. Is there enough water in this region for Mexico? Texas has already gone into fracking in a huge way. If Mexico goes into Mm -hmm. fracking as well, or if the U.S. on the Texas side continues fracking at at high levels, is that sustainable given uh, the demands that it makes on water? If If that's pulled out of aquifers that span the border, is it? sustainable I don't think it is sustainable now and I don't think it will get any any sustainable in the future <laughs> I mean we don't have the, the institutional or the legal framework to protect that we just what don't a, have it what about simple population growth is there a hard limit to the population that this region which has been so fast growing and the population is supposed to double again by the middle of this century is that possible or is there at some point a hard limit where that the, the water supply just cannot support the human population that uh, it, it has a growth momentum there. Yes, yes. In, at different scales and in, in, in different levels, of course. Uh, it depends on, on the level of dependency and, and how much you plan to conserve and, you know, be more sustainable in the future. But if the, if the 
th the way that things are working right now, the, the, the way the what people and industry and agriculture and and institutions are working and are using the way water is being used in for the coming years, I think we're going to get to a point in which, oh, where is the water? Like, <laughs> who got it? How come we didn't get to know this before? So, yes, I anticipate that if we still behave in the same way we're doing. You know, Rosario, you have, you, years. you have such an interesting history. Um, Mexican, uh, came to the States uh, working with in, in Mexican consulates, uh, helping Mexican immigrants here with their protection services, and then getting into all of your hydrology studies and now looking at such a trans-border issue about water. What's your sense of this relationship in, in the years to come? A Mexican sitting in Texas doing work that's essential for both countries. If we get more deeply into crisis, let's say around water, do you see cooperation coming? Or do you see a clash, a conflict coming? I see cooperation, definitely. I really see cooperation, and I and I I really truly believe that because that's the beauty of water. Water brings people to the table, and we all depend the same way. Uh, so we we are not willing to risk what we are so you know in need for. Uh, and, and that's the, the, the beauty of transboundary resources as well. And if you look at the history and, and some other uh, research that has been going on, like, for example, the, the treaty between Israel and Palestinian, that's the on, on groundwater resources, hmm. that's the only one that has been respected. So you you see that there is a recognition that we I mean we're not going to go anywhere right we're going to still be here we both need water and 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 we both need to preserve the same basin so we better sit down and and do our work and and I think the people that I work with every day uh, in the border basically in the border, people that are working on groundwater, which, which we are very few. I mean, we always meet at the same mm -hmm. <laughs> places in the same conference. We, all, we are all the same, uh, all over the border in the U.S. and in the Mexico side. So there's people that, I mean, we agree. We, we just don't disagree on what we need to do. We acknowledge what are the needs. We, we know what we can do. We know the limits. And we know that this is something good, that... that that the worst case scenario will only bring us to the table to to cooperate. And I truly believe that. I mean, I can bet on that. But you know because that you, you may be very cooperative at conferences along the border, but you know what the message has been out of Washington, especially since the election of President Trump. It's been highly, yeah. confr highly confrontational. How do you think water realities might affect that con confrontational posture in Washington over time? Uh, I believe there are different worlds. I believe um, there is a world um, where people, where the President Trump speaks, and then there's a real world where actually people make decisions and and do stuff and and and, and talk about things. So, so I, I believe there are different realities, and and 
I I understand. I mean, that's the way the, the U.S. administration is behaving. You know, just not just the water and everything, right? But there's people behind. There are things going on behind the scenes. And IBWC section, I mean, they are pretty interested in what's uh, what's going on. It's not the same to be in Washington and talk about the border issues, especially water issues, than actually be in El Paso and deal with these issues every day. So uh, is it, there's no ignorant people out there working on, on what we are working, and they know what the problems are. So I believe there are different worlds. The border is a different... <laughs> country. <laughs> I will have to say that because that's really true. Uh, very independent to what the rest of the U.S. and what the rest of Mexico is. Uh, it's a very complex region uh, and it's a very... Um, the interlinkages among people, scientists, businesses, it's, it's, it's bigger than what anyone can tell. And it's bigger than what President Trump can, can say. Really, I mean, it's it's a country on, on its own. It's the third largest gross national product uh, region in the world. So it's 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 different. I mean, and and I've been seeing that. I see that every day. We just we keep working and we keep acknowledging what's going on. And and I know that at some point, and and I know that Washington has been said that they want to revisit even the treaty, the 1944 treaty. Mm-hmm which personally I don't think is a bad idea <laughs> because it misses a lot of things right now that doesn't apply to, you know, 60, uh, 70 years ago. Yeah. Um, it's not the worst idea I've, I've heard. <laughs> uh, and I think it's a, it's a good idea. But, you know, a, apart from that, um, you, just, you just can't change things the way they are, the way they operate every day. So... Uh, it's different worlds. I see just different worlds talking about themselves and be, you know, and doing what they have to do every day. It's so great talking with you. You're so knowledgeable on hydrology, and it looks like your wisdom extends beyond waters as well. It's been a time of so much tension over the borders, and in the U.S. political conversation, that's been such a hot issue, really pushed hard by President Trump. What do you see between these two countries over time, Rosario? Here you are, a Mexican, deep in the fabric of work and uh, academia in, in America now in the United States. Do you see a, 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 com- a compatible, uh, integrated relationship over time, or do you see a future defined by a wall? Well, there's, a, there's already a wall, right? <laughs> a lot of it, yes. Yeah, a lot of it is there already. Uh, a lot of fences around. I mean, I don't think a wall is going to change absolutely anything. Um, it hasn't changed in the past, so science tells me that's not going to change. Uh, people moving across, is, they're not going to stop moving across. They move because they have to move. And, uh, and they're... They are so strongly linked and connected from centuries that a wall is not going to stop that. Um, business, not just families, business, uh, trade, uh, growth, uh, anything you can imagine. So I just see what we have seen in the last 200 years 
tensions and and, that, and those tensions if you go back to history those are cyclical there there are cycles i mean there's a tension where you know we're fighting and screaming at each other and then there's a tension oh we're friends again and then there's you know how we are right now compared to two three years ago i mean two three years no not even two three years two years ago mm -hmm. we were you know screaming at each other presidents were you know and now we're super friends again so it's a cycle and, and, and that's the only way it can be because we're neighbors and neighbors you know they have to get along because they are neighbors but they can hate each other sometimes right so and you can put your fences and you can do whatever you want to do but you're still gonna be there so i don't see anything different that we have been in the last 200 years dr rosario sanchez flores hydrologist at the Texas Water Resources Institute and Texas A&M University. We hope you keep at your work, figure out what's beneath. It sounds like we're going to need it <laughs> and need to understand how to share it. Really grateful to you for being with us. Thank you very much for joining us. Thank you, Tom, for the invite. And uh, always here to serve both countries. <laughs> <laughs> Thanks a lot. Thanks a lot. Bye, Rosario. Thank you. Bye-bye.